So we need to think about any kind of visual aid that we use, not as something that's there for me as the presenter, not as something that's there to replicate what I'm saying, but as something that's there for the audience and that allows me to amplify and reinforce and support my key messages. In the end, when we give a presentation, we are the presentation, not our slides. Hello again, dear listener, and welcome to episode 109 of the Ben Morton Leadership Podcast. It's the weekly show that brings you inspiring interviews with senior leaders and subject matter experts, all designed to help you be the very best leader that you can possibly be. And this week, we have got another cracking episode for you. Today, we are joined by Andrea Pacini, who is a presentation coach and head of Ideas on Stage in the UK. He specialises in working with business owners, leaders and their teams who want to become more confident presenters. Since 2010, Ideas on Stage has worked with thousands of clients around the world, including companies like Microsoft, Lacoste, the World Bank, and get this, over 500 TEDx speakers. Andrea, personally, is on a mission to stop great ideas from failing just because of the way in which they are presented. His vision is to help hundreds of thousands of business leaders share their message so they can grow their business, increase their influence and make a positive impact in the world. And he's got a fascinating story, backstory to tell linked to that point. As you would expect, considering what Andrea does for a living, he was, is an incredibly engaging guest. In this episode, we spoke about how to deliver great presentations. We looked at some of the most common pitfalls and mistakes that people can make when presenting, as well as looking at how hybrid working has changed things. And really interestingly, all of what hasn't changed as a result of the new technologies we now use. But before we get into this episode, do please take a couple of minutes to head over to the online courses page of my website, ben-morton.com, where you can sign up for my ever-popular 10 for 10 leadership course. It's totally free. It consists of 10 bite-sized modules served up via email, and it covers some of the most common leadership topics and challenges that I frequently get asked about. It also gets consistently great feedback. So do go and check that out. As I said, it's totally free. Now though, and without any further delay, let's get into this week's episode, which I know you're gonna absolutely love, both for the content and for Andrea's engaging conversational style. Andrea, a very warm welcome to the podcast. It's really great to have you with us today. I've been looking forward to today's episode because it's a, a topic that I think is close to many leaders' hearts, right? In fact, anyone who works in, in business, close to their hearts, probably. Thank you, Ben. I'm really looking forward to this conversation too. So, Andrea, let's start off with the background context question. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is that you do and uh, the little bit of a journey that got you here, actually? So I'm a presentation coach. I'm the head of Ideas on Stage UK. 
the reason why I'm so passionate about public speaking is because when I was a little kid, Ben, growing up in Italy, I grew up in a family of very small business owners. My my parents have always been running their own very small business together. They still do. And so as a kid, I saw both the challenges because raising four kids while trying to run a business is not easy. Yeah. But I also saw in them the the spark, the entrepreneurial mindset, the proactive approach to life. And so that's why I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, to run my own thing. Now, in reality, that remained a dream for a long time because before doing what I'm doing now, I tried many things, started many projects, all of them failed. But in that, it was useful because in that process, what I realized was that there are so many great ideas that fail, not because of the ideas themselves, but just because mm. of the way they are presented. And so that's why I became a presentation coach. That's why my mission, Ben, is to stop great ideas from failing simply because of the way we communicate them. My mission is to help hundreds of thousands of business leaders share their message so they can grow their business, increase their influence, and make a positive impact in the world. So I've got to ask you, out of curiosity, what were some of the, the, the projects and businesses that you tried along the way? Yeah, many. Uh, one was, for example, a blog. I Many years ago, I launched a blog, and I was super excited about it. I was very consistent. For a number of years, I would write an article every single week, and I thought it was great. And my idea was, now I'm going to have hundreds of thousands of readers and maybe I think that in a few years, two people read my articles. One was my wife, so it didn't really make an impact. <laughs> and the, the, other, the other were your parents? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Another failure, if we can call it this way, was after the blog, I launched a newsletter. And my idea was to curate content, content that I thought was interesting. And again, I said I can curate this newsletter for hundreds of thousands of people. I can really make an impact. And I did it for two or three years. At the end of it, when I closed it, I had 119 subscribers. So not hundreds of thousands. And I can go on and on. I can if you want, but uh, there are other examples. But by the way, Ben, the reason why the blog didn't work was because I didn't communicate the idea behind it well enough. Mm. The reason why the newsletter didn't work was because I didn't communicate the idea behind it well enough. So the common thread I noticed in all of those projects and ideas that failed was because I didn't communicate it effectively. Yeah, and that was what I was, I was going to ask you, actually, Andrea. So we talk a lot on this podcast and lots of the, the guests talk about this about the, the need and importance of learning for leaders, the importance of stopping to pause and reflect and learn lessons from the past that help us in, in the future. Like, what did that look like for, for you? And how did you sort of, where did that aha moment come from that the, one of the main reasons those projects failed wasn't in what it was you was doing, but how you was communicating? Was that through some sort of formal conscious process you had or was it sort of one day literally out walking in the countryside and you, you pieced the the parts of the puzzle together no it was a formal 
conscious process, but it was something that happened afterwards. So at some point, through a formal process of trying to understand what was going on, I connected the dots, but afterwards. So as things were happening, I couldn't see what was going on. But then on the one hand, yes, I had to go through a formal process of understanding, learning, developing, and then going backwards, I connected the dots and I realized that the common reason why all of these things didn't work was because I wasn't communicating things effectively. Now, when I shared with you my my, my background, my story, I cut it short. But then what happened there is because of that, I started my own, my own journey of learning and development from a communication perspective. And then after years, I started then helping others do the same, again, from a public speaking presentation skills perspective. Yeah, and that's a nice lead in, actually. I was going to ask you as well for the avoidance of doubt. Like, what does a presentation coach do? What do you do as a presentation coach? Like, what do you help people with? So think about two particular scenarios. If we're talking about one-to-one support with a business leader, then that can happen either in preparation for an actual presentation. It could be an important presentation, maybe internally within his or her organization, externally at a conference, maybe an industry conference. And in preparation for that, we can prepare that presentation together. That's one scenario. The second scenario is you don't have to have an actual presentation coming up. In in general, if presenting, communicating your ideas is an important part of what you do, then we work with business leaders to make sure that when they do have that important opportunity coming up, they are ready to go. Now, there are to do that, there are three key areas that we need to work on. Message, visuals, and delivery. So message is your ability to craft a compelling, a captivating message when preparing a presentation, which is the most important thing. So this is what you say, the content of your presentation. Delivery, this is how you say it. So these are things like eye contact, body language, gestures. The content, I think, is the most important thing, especially in business, but you can amplify your content with delivery skills. And then the visual element is not always needed, but often, again, especially in business, we use, for example, slides, PowerPoint, or any other presentation tool, rather than ending up with the typical death by PowerPoint with text and bullet points, people can't read and listen at the same time. People need to understand how to amplify the message from a visual perspective as well. Think about it as, it's a bit like a movie. If you think about a movie, Ben, a movie has the screenplay, and that's the content, the message of the movie. A movie also has the acting, and that's the delivery side of things. Yeah. And it also has special effects, or maybe in a theater, same thing in theaters, they've got the set design. That's the visual side of things. Yeah. And if any of these three key elements is missing, you will not enjoy the movie. Yeah. Same is true in a presentation. If any of these three key elements, message, visuals, and delivery, especially message and delivery is missing, you will find it hard to reach your objective. Yeah. So let's talk about visuals for, for, for a second. Like the point you made there around death by PowerPoint, slides that are jam-packed with loads of text, loads of, of bullet points, probably 
90% of people listening to this podcast know that's what they should try to avoid, what, what they shouldn't do, right? But still, we see so many presentations all the time where that is the case. Like, what's going on there? Like, why do we, why do so many of us still do that when, when we know it's not the right way to go? First of all, I would say that perhaps it's not 90%, it could be even 95, 98%. <laughs> I, was, I was being kind. Yeah, you were being kind. Uh, now, there are a couple, of, a couple of reasons. One is that we've always done it this way. So if you, are, if you work for a company, the people around you, the 99% of your colleagues will present in a certain way. And so we've always done it this way. So that's one thing. Another thing is that it takes courage to do things differently. That's that's another thing. And also lack of understanding. People don't know that, for example, they've written text. This is demonstrated by research. They've written text on a slide is processed in exactly the same part of the brain that processes the spoken text. And what that means is that for a brain, whether we like it or not, Reading and listening are two conflicting activities. We can't read and listen at the same time. So there's lack of understanding. We don't know. Every time we show a slide full of text and bullet points, if you want to do it, fine. But then you need to understand that if you do that, your audience will need to make a decision. Do I listen to Ben or do I read the text on the slides? It's not possible to do both things at the same time. And there are many other aspects that we can talk about when we think about pre- effective presentation design. But going back to your question, it's just lack of lack of knowledge, lack of understanding. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, as I was listening to you, I was also sort of in my mind answering my own, own question and sort of reflecting on me as a presenter when I worked in a corporate company and me presenting now either in training or, or keynotes. And I think there is a skill and time factor here as well. So when I was employed, I probably wouldn't have considered myself creative or thought I had the creative skills to produce beautiful slides. I think when I left and started doing what I do now, it become even more more important because when you're paid to come in and present, people quite rightly expect more of you. So you put more focus on it and you find a way to either develop your skill or you find someone to to help you which maybe unless you're a very senior leader within a with a in a company getting someone to help you create your slide deck could could be more of a challenge pretty full slides does take time and effort and a busy employee in a company maybe doesn't always have have time to do that because there's so many other things that they're juggling yeah it takes time but like with any other things any other skill that we may want to master if you want to master that skill, you need to invest time. Yeah, and this is true sure. for presentations. It's true for many other things. Then, of course, that doesn't mean that you need to do everything yourself. As you said, yeah. it depends on the context, on your level of experience, also seniority. You could work with somebody else, with a presentation coach. You could learn it by yourself. But you also made me think about another reason why people follow that approach. And it's very much connected to time limitations. Many people, especially business leaders, either don't have the time or even if they do, they don't prepare properly, not just from a design perspective, but also from a delivery perspective, for example. And so because they haven't really internalized the content, 
then they use slides as a crutch for them to remember what to say. And I get it. But then again, it works for you as the presenter. It doesn't work for the audience. So we need to think about any kind of visual aid that we use, not as something that's there for me as the presenter, not as something that's there to replicate what I'm saying, but as something that's there for the audience and that allows me to amplify and reinforce and support my key messages. In the end, when we give a presentation, we are the presentation, not our slides. Yeah. So that's really interesting. So imagine a situation where there's a leader who's about to give a, a big presentation and perhaps they haven't quite internalized all of their, their content and, and their message. So they kind of find themselves stuck with a choice. Do I go for some slightly more wordy slides and visuals than I'd like? Because if I've got them, they become the crutch and I don't need so many notes and it won't come, come across as I'm kind of checking and reading from my notes. So that's one option if they've not got time to internalize the content. Or they could go with some really simple slides with powerful visuals that don't have, doesn't have the text on there, but work from and check their notes slightly more. Like is one better than the other or like clear, clearly the idea is to really internalize the content so you can stand up great visuals without loads of notes. But if that's not an option, which would you suggest? If that's not an option, I wouldn't worry about slides. Right. If I only have 15, even just 15 minutes to prepare a presentation, forget about slides. Yeah. Again, we often associate the idea of giving a presentation with showing some slides. Who says that we need to show some slides all the time? We've got 15 minutes or maybe we've got half an hour, we've got an hour to prepare, then spend a few minutes to think about your audience. That's the foundation. Who is the audience? Who am I speaking to? What do they need? Then write down in a piece of paper the three key takeaways. What are the three key messages they want to get across? And then spend the rest of your time trying to perhaps rehearse it once or twice. That's it. Forget about slides. And then you go there. And yes, also, if you've got some notes in front of you, look, presenting is not and should not be an exercise in memorization. So when I say, yes, you want to internalize your message, you don't have to memorize your message. It's two different things. If you don't have time, then you have a piece of paper in front of you and you can rely on your notes from time to time. But you never want to have death by PowerPoint on screen. So interesting, isn't it? You're right, Andre, when you say, if you say to I think the vast majority of people working in a, in, in a business wanting to prepare a presentation, the first thing I suspect most people will do is open up PowerPoint. We just anchor the two, tie the two together so tightly, don't we, that there's just this such strong association between, as you say, presentation and, and slides. Instead, the very, you're right, and the very first thing we should do instead is we should always, 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 it doesn't matter what the context is, we should always start with the audience. That's the foundation of the presentation process. That's the only way having an understanding of who the audience is and what they need is the only way for us to be able to create and give a presentation which is relevant to them. If you want, Ben, in just one minute, I can give you an example. 
of a situation with one of our clients where that didn't happen and what the consequences were. Can that help? Far away, please do, yeah. Okay. So some time ago, we were working with a client. Her name is Marie from Paris. Marie is an executive. She's an expert in leadership. And she was invited by an association in Finland to give a talk about leadership. And she was super excited. It was one of her first international speaking opportunities. So she prepared really well. Remember the three things, message, visuals, and delivery. She knew her message. She told us that she prepared 50 beautiful slides. And also, she rehearsed. She practiced properly. So she was ready to go. She flew to Finland the day before the conference, then arrived there on the day, half an hour before the audience, because she wanted to make sure that she had time to set things up. Yeah. And when she was about to connect her laptop to the screen, she realized that there was no screen. So a little bit of panic, she went and asked the organizers, assuming that they would say, oh, sorry, Marie, now we are going to fix this for you. We're going to find the screen. But what they did instead was they started laughing. (laughs) They started laughing. And so she says, why are you laughing? And they say, look, Marie, you want to show 50 slides, but actually you've been invited to give a talk to the association in Finland of blind people. Ah. Blind people. Now, Ben, I know it's an extreme example. It sounds like a bad joke, but it happened... For real. You see, Marie was very well prepared, apart from one thing. Wow. She didn't know her audience. So what that means for us is the very first thing we need to do in preparation for any presentation, even if that means just spending two minutes, if it's a bit more better, but just, again, we were talking about time constraints earlier. We've got just a few minutes. Let's spend that time trying to understand as much as possible about the audience what their needs are, and what's the context to that particular presentation. Wow. And again, this, this leads on really nicely, Andrea. I know you speak a lot and do a lot of work around some of the key mistakes that people often make in presentations. And we've touched on a few, right? Not knowing your audience, relying overly on visuals or, or poor visuals. What are some of the other sort of common mistakes that that you find yourself helping people to to correct or overcome? The main one is around the content. Whether we are aware of it or not, often the message we communicate is either too complex or too technical. And the reason why that's the case is because often we are so close to our message, we know so much about it, that we think, first of all, we think that everything is important. And so we think that we need to communicate everything. And we also think that what we are communicating is simple and clear for the audience to understand, engaging, but often the experience from the audience's perspective is the opposite. It's confusing. And in communication, it's very simple. If you confuse, you lose. You lose your audience. You lose their attention. And that's the biggest problem. There are a few others, but I don't want to take too much of the time we have available. So you tell me whether or not uh, I need to go ahead or or otherwise feel free to take the conversation wherever you want. Yeah. What about delivery then? What are some of the sort of key areas? Are there any commonalities that you identify with 
how people deliver that you can help them quickly, quickly fix? What are some of the things that we should maybe be watching out for there? Yeah. So from a delivery perspective, number one, you want to be able to deliver your message in a simple way. And one of the best things you can do is to use, and that's another common mistake most people don't, you want to use simple language, simple words, simple sentences. And simple, Ben, can be harder than complex. Yeah, I think it always is. Yeah, because anyone can use, for example, long, confusing sentences. Anyone can use jargon. Anyone can use acronyms or industry-specific terminology that you understand as the presenter, not necessarily the audience. And that's what a lot of business people do. They Mm. use complex language because they think that if they do that, then they sound smarter and more credible. The opposite is the case. Think about some of the business leaders that you admire, that you consider smart and credible, if you think about it, what they often do is the opposite. They replace complex language, complex words and sentences with simple ones. I'll give an example. I've just finished recently reading a book by Carmine Gallo. He's the author of Talk Like Ted, The Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs, many many other books. He's just published a new book, The Bezos Blueprint, where he shares some of the communication strategies that Jeff Bezos used at Amazon. And he analyzed the 24 shareholder letters that Jeff Bezos sent to, to, to his shareholders over the 24 years that he was CEO. And 70% of them returned a grade, uh, which is equivalent to 13 to 15 years old, which means that a 13-year-old reads the letter. We are talking about a business letter, and he or she would be able to understand what he was talking about. Mm. That's what great communicators do. So one thing is simple. What you also want to do from a delivery perspective, you want to speak clearly. And one of the best things you can do is you have to have the courage to slow down. Posing is very powerful. Silence is one of the most eloquent things in the world, which means that we can say a lot without saying anything. What I'll do, Ben, in just one minute, I'll give you a few other high, at a high level uh, principles, and then feel free if we want to deep dive into any of them we can. You also want to be able to connect with the audience. How can you do that? Well, eye contact. We want to make eye contact with the audience. And there are differences. How do you do that in person? How do you do that online? It's different. Posture, body language, gestures. The more you move your hands, the more dynamic you will be. So these are a couple of things you can do. Gestures, eye contact to make a good connection with the audience. And also to make it engaging, to make your delivery original and enjoyable. Interaction audience interaction. A presentation should not be a monologue. It should not be a one-way lecture. You want to involve the audience. It has to be, it has to feel more like a conversation. And another thing is, again, I'm just putting everything out there and then feel free to take whatever you want. Vocal dynamism, because you asked about delivery, we, we have to become dynamic vocal speakers. So anything we can do to move away from our own standard tone, which can be monotone. Yes. And again, I can explain how to do that in practice. That allows you to be more dynamic, not just from a body language perspective, but also from a vocal perspective as well. And voice, 
is a very powerful communication tool, especially today when it comes to virtual online presenting. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned audience participation and interactivity. And I think that's really interesting how that then links and relates to knowing your audience, right? If you're thinking about giving some of those big presentations, and I've gone to lots of conferences all around the world. And when you go to ones over in over in the States, partly probably because of some of the natural national stereotypes that exist, they're very much into that kind of give me a yes if you agree and kind of hands in the air and all of that sort of stuff. And when I've gone to some of those big presentations and conferences in the States, I'm sitting there as one of the few Brits in the audience and looking around at the fellow Brits because you always gravitate to kindred spirits, right? And we're all sitting there looking slightly uncomfortable with it and reluctantly joining in. And like that's not going to work kind of so well for a standard UK audience, but it might for some, right? So it really is about knowing your audience as well, isn't it? Because I'm absolutely 100% with you. I really try and build that into all that I do, even if it's just stop for five minutes in the presentation, turn to the person next to you and have a conversation and and reflect to break it up and change the energy levels. But you've got to know your audience, haven't you? Otherwise, it's just going to fall horribly flat for you. Absolutely. It depends on the audience. It depends on the context. I agree with you. I would be among you Brits feeling uncomfortable <laughs> about it. It's it's not my style. When I say you need to interact with the audience, it doesn't have to be, give me a yes if you agree. Yeah. No, but here is the principle. And again, it's demonstrated by research. In a face-to-face presentation, the audience's attention drops, tends to drop after about 10 minutes. Right. So that means that as presenters, we know that after about 10 minutes, we need to start panicking because we know that it doesn't matter how interesting your subject is. It doesn't doesn't matter how good you are as a presenter. The audience's attention will go down. So we know as you prepare a presentation, go back to your content and think about moments of interaction that you can include in advance. Every 10 minutes, you need to find a way even in a subtle way, it doesn't have to be like in a big way. How can you interact with the audience? Online, it's even harder to keep the attention high. So the 10-minute rule becomes the three-minute rule. In an online right. presentation, every three to maximum five minutes, you want to find a way to interact with the audience. So if you do that, you will gain the audience's attention and then you and you will keep it high. And if you think about it, Ben, the audience's attention is a bit like the sand in an hourglass. If you think about the sand in an hourglass, it runs out after a few minutes, but it's very easy to just flip you over and start again. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice analogy. Now, in a presentation, it's the same thing. If you think about your audience's attention, you as the presenter, you can flip you over, which means that it's not up to the audience to work hard to pay attention it's up to you as the presenter to work hard in advance to include those moments of interaction that will allow you to gain their attention and to keep it high. Nice. And we're touching on here virtual presenting. So how has COVID, post-COVID world kind of impacted things, do you think? And how does how has the game changed and what we need to do been affected by doing a lot more kind of presenting virtually? I think, Ben, many people think and say and assume that 
Zoom and Teams and virtual meetings have changed the way we present our ideas. I don't think that's the case. Now, of course, there are some important things that we need to consider when presenting online. Again, we can talk about it later. I've got some practical tips for our listeners today. But here is the thing. Going back to Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos said, everybody asks him, what is it that's going to change in the next 10 years? And he says, nobody ever asked me, what is it that's not going to change in the next 10 years? And he says, I find that question much more interesting because if you pay attention to the things that don't change, those are the things that make a difference. And he says in that world, for example, I know that in 10 years from now, Everybody will still want low prices. They will still want a vast selection. They will still want fast delivery. So if we pay attention to those things, we will be successful 10 years from now. In public speaking, in in communication in general, it's the same thing. Rather than thinking about the things that will change, like, for example, technology and tools, they will change. That's inevitable. But rather than focusing on those things, we should pay attention to the things that will never change. And these are the fundamental principles of communication. Aristotle was the first one more than 2,000 years ago who gave us some building blocks of persuasion and effective communication. He didn't have Zoom. He didn't have PowerPoint. And the great communicators of our time still use the same fundamental principles of communication. In 10 years from now, Ben, I know that you do public speaking, you speak at conferences, events. Nobody will come to you and say, Ben, that was a great presentation. I just wish that your message was not so simple for me to understand. (laughs) I just wish that your structure wasn't that clear for me to follow. I just wish that your ideas were not so relevant to me and my needs. That will never happen. So, of course, we want to pay attention to the way technology evolves. That will happen. That's okay. That's a practical thing. it's, It's not the main thing. It doesn't make a huge difference as long as we get the basics right. But we should pay attention to the fundamental principles of communication that will never change. Having said that, yes, if you're interested, there are a few practical things that we need to be aware of when it comes to presenting online. Mm. So, Andrea, that, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because as you were talking there about the question that Bezos says he never gets asked, I just had one of those slight drop the pen moments. So this isn't included in that many leadership programs that I do, but sometimes I might talk about something from the world of neuro-linguistic programming and the, the meta programs or the filters, these filters that we all process information through, which means we tend to see more of one thing and less of another. We might focus on what we stand to gain versus not losing something. We might focus on the big picture. We might focus on the, on the detail more. One of these that occurred to me listening to you speak is there's a filter that we all use that's based on do we see everything that's different or do we see everything that's the same first? Now, I don't know the exact percentages, but from memory, I think round about 70% of the global population have a sameness preference, which is really interesting. One of the immediate applications of that that I often talk to leaders about is if you're about to communicate some sort of change, well, actually, talk first about everything that's staying the same 
because that's going to straight away engage more of your audience and people are going to going to listen to that but actually i'd never thought about that in the context of what you were sharing and 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 the future and then we get so caught up so many of us i think with everything that is shiny and new in the world and get mesmerized by that a bit like a, a magpie getting drawn to the shiny tin foil and therefore we can forget to do some of the basics re- really well right and it reminds me of when what was it 10 years ago maybe when prezi suddenly came to the fore as a new alternative to to powerpoint everyone was doing these prezi presentations and things were zooming in and zo- zooming out and some of them might have looked quite cool visually but I still saw some pretty poor presentations delivered from people using Prezi. The technology didn't make the difference, didn't make it any better. In fact, it might have made the content worse because all of the prep time was spent messing around with Prezi instead of internalizing the message, simplifying the message, all the stuff you've been sharing with us. I couldn't agree more. And you're right. People sometimes ask me, what's the best presentation tool? And I think that the best presentation tool is a piece of paper. That's it. You can create fantastic presentations or bad presentations with any tool, with PowerPoint, Keynote, Prezi. What's important, as you said, is not the tool, it's not the technology, it's the approach. And the approach has nothing to do with the tool. You also made me think about when you were talking about Do people look for differences or same things? There's also another application in communication, which is why analogies and metaphors are so powerful. Now, an analogy is a comparison between two things. So you want to explain a a topic, especially if it's complex, technical. One of the best things you can do is to use an analogy. When you say, this, which is your idea, is a bit like that. Mm-hmm. That's an analogy. And so that's, and people are programmed, we are hardwired to look for, as you said, for similarities. This is like that. And so when you explain something which is new to the audience, it could be complex, it could be technical, when you connect that to something the audience already knows and understand, when you make that connection, that's when learning happens. Again, if you want, in less than a minute, I can give you an example of a great analogy that I've seen recently. Go ahead. Right. So I don't know if you know Neil deGrasse Tyson. Have you heard of him? Do you know him? No, I don't think so. Okay. Neil deGrasse Tyson is an astrophysicist from the US. In the UK, we've got, I like to follow Brian Cox, I think. Yep. Yep. So he's the equivalent of Brian Cox in the US. Okay. He's perhaps one of the best science communicators out there at the moment. And one of the reasons that's the case is because he uses analogies all the time. For example, I was watching a video. I'm very much into science. I like that kind of stuff. So I was watching a video on YouTube and he was answering some questions from from the audience. And one, one of the questions was, Mr. Tyson, what do you think about life in the universe beyond planet Earth? And he thinks that chances are very high that there is life in the universe. But rather than using scientific language, which, Ben, going back to the idea of making it relevant to the audience, in that particular context, it wouldn't have worked because it wasn't an audience of scientists. He said, look, imagine that you are 
in a boat. It's just you in a small boat in the ocean. You are out there in the ocean and then you have a glass with you. And with your glass, you take some water from the ocean and then you look at the glass and you say, okay, there are no whales <laughs> in this glass. So therefore, we can assume that there are no whales in the entire ocean, which doesn't make sense. And he said, making this assumption is like making the assumption that because we don't see life beyond Earth, then it doesn't exist. Yeah. So that's the comparison that he used. A anybody can relate to the idea of being in a boat on the sea. Mm. So the best way to explain something new, especially if that new thing, new idea is complex or technical, is to attach it to something that the audience already knows and understands. And the power there, Andre, of course, which you've demonstrated brilliantly a couple of times in this in this podcast, which people are listening to right now with the audio only, so it's a presentation with, with no visuals, but you've given us several visuals by using metaphors, analogies. You've given us the sand timer analogy, which is really vivid in, in my mind and other people's minds. You had your movie comparison to create in a, a presentation, and there's probably one or two others that kind of haven't got, got logged just yet. So you can create the visuals through your words, right? It doesn't have to be on a screen behind you. Yep. You can paint a picture with the words you use. And I don't want to take me as an example, but because I understand how powerful analogies and metaphors are, in preparation for podcasts, my own presentations, workshops, training courses, I almost always try to come up with an analogy or a metaphor that allows me to explain that particular concept. So yeah. you share the idea, you support it with an analogy or a metaphor. And, and also what you want to do, you want to have, when you communicate something, you want to have the right mix of logic and emotion. Now, I'm not a scientist and I don't want to oversimplify things, but at a very high level, we've got two parts in our brain. And it's not the right and left brain kind of thing, but just two parts. We've got the logical part and the emotional part. Yeah. So you want to touch both areas, depending on who you have in front of you. And you touch the logical part by sharing facts and figures and data. So I'm not saying that that's not important. Of course, you want to do that. But most presentations, especially in business, are 99% facts, and it's yeah. not enough. You also want to touch the emotional level. And you do that with analogies, metaphors, stories, examples, anecdotes. There's always a story to tell. But if we think about storytelling in communication, in business, it doesn't have to be a once upon a time type of story. No. Again, it could be an example, an anecdote, a case study. It could be something that happened to you, something that happened to one of your colleagues, something that happened to somebody else. It could be a story of brand success. Maybe there is an organization that has already implemented this strategy that you are suggesting to your audience, that's a story. So there's always a story to tell. The problem with most business communication is that our presentations, our communications are 99% facts. And if we are lucky, 1% is story. 
it's a bit unbalanced. So if we just by telling more stories, and story is a broad term, it includes all these kind of things that we talked about, that's one of the best ways for us to be able to communicate in a way which is more original and enjoyable. Yeah, like I, I couldn't agree more, Andre. And I, I think if we were to say to everybody listening now, hit pause on a podcast, try and think about some of the best presentations you've ever experienced in the work context and write them down and then just spend a couple of seconds reflecting on each one. What was it about the presenter that makes you think that was such a great one? And I'm almost certain it will be that they they told some sort of story, right? They captured and engaged the audience and they'll say, oh yeah, but the content was good, but there was a great storyteller because that that is that's the the emotional part isn't it i think as a race as a species we we've always told stories right go back to when we find the drawings inside caves the drawings to tell a story like that's it's in our it's in our genetics to tell stories our brain is hardwired to listen to stories to remember them and every time we share a story with the audience the audience will remember the story and what that means, the key message that you want to get across. There's also science behind. There are studies that show that they've connected, I think they're called functional MRIs. FMRI, yeah. FMRIs, yeah. So they've used that kind of technology to connect the brain of the speaker to the brain of the listener. Mm. And it's fascinating. Every time the speaker shares a, tells a story, you can see that the both brains get activated in exactly the same parts, which means that stories put us in sync. As, as humans, we can better connect with each other by telling stories. Yeah. Again, it reminds me as well, if you take any family group that perhaps doesn't get together that often, a group of old friends or acquaintances that haven't been together for that long, a school reunion, something like that, and suddenly bring people back together. What happens very naturally straight away? What do people start doing? They tell stories, right? Three weeks before recording this today, I had a reunion at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst with the training company that I went through the academy with. 21 years since we all graduated the academy. A lot of the guys there I hadn't seen for, for 21 years. Most of the night was just spent telling stories old stories from when we were there together stories of what we've been up to since and it was no bragging or ego or trying to impress each other but it's just what it's very very natural and human isn't it and, and do you know what it was a lovely enjoyable evening and i come away feeling really connected to all of those guys once again and unfortunately we don't do that in business communication and that's one of the biggest problems yeah and then we wonder why our employees aren't more engaged, why the engagement survey data isn't where we want it to be, because we are, we're not doing the stuff that's going to lead to that engagement. Yeah, and you said, you're right, it doesn't have to be because of ego. We don't want to tell a story for the sake of telling a story because we know that it works, it's, it's engaging. No, we want to tell a story because we want to make a point. We want to get a point across. So the, your point, your idea is the most important thing. This is just a communication device that we can use to make sure that your message lands with the audience, that it resonates with them, and then it gets remembered. And most of all, that people act 
upon your ideas. Hmm. Fascinating. Andrea, I always like to finish with a couple of quick fire questions. They're normally the same sort of questions to, to wrap up the show. Uh, just a bit of fun, really. And one is a chance to share a, a book recommendation. Now, this first one, I always have to caveat with other than your smartphone, because that's what everybody used to say. So other than your smartphone, what is one item for you that if it were lost, broken or stolen, you would immediately find yourself going out to replace? I'm not a very materialistic person, but it's not one item in particular, but it is a thing. And it's perhaps one of the most important thing I have, which is a series of things. It's books. For me, reading is my... Med- I, don't, I don't meditate, but it's my meditation. Every day I have to read and a book is one of the most important thing I have in my life. So if somebody steals a book from me, I don't just replace it. I want it back uh, immediately. So is that, is that okay as an answer? Books. It's perfect. It, it resonates really well with me. And whatever your answer was, was fine. One, one leader I asked, um, her response was her dignity, which was fascinating. It's like, like mind-blowing. But yeah. But that's a perfect answer to lead me into the second question, which is what is a book, the book that's had the the most impact upon you? Or maybe to ask the same question a slightly different way, if it makes it easier, what is one book that you most often find yourself recommending to other people? If I think about my area of expertise, so if I think about public speaking presentation skills, the book that had the most significant impact is Presentation Zen by Gar Reynolds. And that's because then I re- after that, I read hundreds of other books on the same subject. But that was the very first book that opened my eyes to what it really means to create an effective presentation. Presentation Zen by Gar Reynolds. And then, because you also asked, okay, what's the book that you maybe give the most. And there's one mm-hmm. which has nothing to do with business, nothing to do with presentations. It's it's a life book if you want. And to me, that's the most important book of my life that I recommend all the time to friends and family, which is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Yeah, yeah. It's probably one of the, I think it's one of the most commonly cited books of people on the show. Um, it was recommended to me about five years ago. Incredible book, right? It's not a easy read, but probably is one that many of us sh- would get some value from reading. They said should read, that's unfair, but yeah, truly incredible book. Yeah, incredible. And you're right, it's not an easy one because for our listeners, Viktor Frankl was a psychotherapist. He spent, I think it was five years as a prisoner in Auschwitz. And it's a book divided into two parts. Part one, he talks about his experience in Auschwitz. So, of course, it's tough. And then part two, the lessons from the experience, from his own experience and the experience of many other prisoners. And the I don't want to reveal it, but the gist of the book, which is one of the most important things in life, I think, is that it doesn't really matter who you are, where you are, what you do, who you are with, in what conditions you are, what makes a difference is what you think about it. And you can find meaning and purpose in life despite 
these conditions, even, he says, in a concentration gap, which may sound extreme, but anyway, incredible book. Yeah, it is a truly incredible book. Andrea, thank you so much for your time today. The time has flown by. We've gone slightly longer than the most episode because I, do, I didn't want to stop asking you questions and listening. So huge thank you for, for your time and sharing your expertise. If people want to find out more about you, the work you do, what's the best way for them to do that? couple of things. Um, on social media, I'm mainly on LinkedIn. People can find me there, Andrea Pacini with my name. Our website is ideasonstate.com. And then perhaps one practical thing people can do is we have a scorecard, which is an online quiz. The com- People can Google it, the Confident Presenter Scorecard, or the URL is ideasonstage.com forward slash score, like when you score a goal. Now we've got the World Cup. Now, it's an online tool that people can take to very quickly assess their current presentation skills. It takes less than three minutes. It's free. They just need to answer a few questions. They'll get a score, what their score means for them, and it also identifies opportunities for improvement. And when you take the scorecard, you'll also get a copy, a PDF copy of a book written by a colleague of mine, Phil Wicknell, Business Presentation revolution i know i'm biased of course but it's a great book brilliant well we will pop links to those resources and your linkedin profile into the show notes so people can do that really easily all it leads me to say once again is thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it i've loved chatting to you today thank you ben i really enjoyed it So I did say you're going to love the episode and I'm fairly certain that will have been the case for you. That was episode 109 of the podcast. And if you're listening to this live in the week that it went out, this concludes season six of the podcast. I can't quite believe we're at this point. The show started as a little experiment, really, in the very first COVID-19 lockdown for me. And here we are concluding the sixth season of the show and soon getting ready to start recording season seven that will go live in the second week of January 2023. All that it really leaves me to say right now is thank you, dear listener, for coming back week after week and listening to me and the guests that I'm interviewing on your behalf. I do really appreciate every single one of you who tunes in and every single episode that you tune in for. It makes it all worthwhile when I get some of your feedback via email on social media. So please, please do keep that coming in. It gives me the the fuel, the energy, the motivation to keep searching for great guests and doing my best to become an even better podcast host and interviewer. If you are enjoying the show, then I think the biggest thanks that you could give me is to just take a couple of minutes to go and rate, review and subscribe to the show wherever you happen to listen. It really does make a massive difference and is really, really appreciated. So that's it from me for episode 109 If you are listening live, the final thing for me to say is I wish you, your team, your loved ones a very happy Christmas and a prosperous 2023. Take care of yourselves. 
rest up over Christmas and come back in the new year ready to lead on. Bye.